Well, this journey started seriously about 12 years ago, but, but kind of um, whimsical before that. I started really biology, studying E. coli and viruses, and the genetics of them, and the, um, um, how DNA repairs itself. But um, much, much later, it was it was only after I threw a plankton net over, as I told you, over the side of a, of a freighter, and looked at the sample and went, just like you saw there, that was exactly what happened. I went, oh my God. And I said to myself, and so I looked with the microscope, it was Rinpoche's microscope, actually. We bought him a portable microscope, a little inverted microscope like that. And um, so I used it for, for about a week, two weeks. We were in a retreat, and he said, okay, that's it. We need to focus on it. Maybe it's three weeks. And uh, then after that, I promised myself that someday uh, I would investigate the little creatures of the universe, not bacteria, but I'd like to, but, but the majority of all life on the planet which is actually bacteria and viruses, um, and find out uh, what that is. So that was a decision about 12 years ago. I said, okay, that's it. I'm getting a microscope. I'm going to travel with the microscope, and I'm going to start um, a study of something I know nothing about. So, so. May all beings be imbued with wisdom, compassion, and non-clinging awareness. Well, so today I'd like to speak a bit more um, about the uh, two things. Well, I'll do some readings uh, from the from the book of essays. Uh, carry on where I started, I stopped yesterday. But also, I want to talk a bit about the inner aspect of mindfulness, which is really important. I was just mentioning that to Misha actually about the belly. So we need to go to we need to go to the belly when it comes to mindfulness. Oddly enough, but uh, the inner aspect of mindfulness must be explained. Otherwise, uh, there's no stability in meditation, and there's no um, uh, real great bright, brightness and awakeness of the mind. So I'll explain that in a minute. And before I start, do you have any any questions at all? I can get that that green book out there. Anything that's on your your minds that's uh, pertinent to what we're studying, <laughs> as opposed to non. Pertinent. Yes, I do actually ask them to, to answer the question I have because yesterday you were talking about the three aspects of that. And the secret aspect. So today, yesterday was a lot about the outer. Both the outer. Yeah. A little bit more on the inner today. Um, I don't know of anybody else who divides it this way. This is a way I like to to, um, divide it. Hopefully it will be helpful for you. Uh, I I don't know of a text or I don't know of any teaching that gives outer, inner, and secret. But uh, it's become apparent to me over over years that they're really... There's never such a thing. It's like taxonomy. There's, it's an artificial division. I've created an artificial division. 
but it's, I'm trying to find a way to explain to people so they better understand the range and depth of what mindfulness is. And to do that, uh, a very good category is three different levels, if you wish, of outer, inner, and secret, which is a very standard way of dividing things in the Vajrayana system. It's very apparent to me, but... Sometimes they do, sometimes so they don't. Sure, 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 sure. But I know this, it's just, you know, body, speech, mind, the three things. When people say mind, it seems so vague to me. And I just wondered if you could speak a little bit about what is meant by mind. That's the secret level of mindfulness. So I will get there. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I, in any Dharma discourse that I ever give, I, uh, there's no way I can... There, it's impossible for me not to speak about nature of mind. Because I don't know where heart fits into that. Let's, let's, let's find out. Okay. We have time. Great. It's very nice. We have time to, to, to keep doing that. And, and any questions like that are great because uh, for a lot of people, not just yourself, but for a lot of people, they're mysteries. Or they use them too much and then they find out, well, wait a minute, maybe I never really understood what it meant. Or, or they get used a lot in books, yeah. the heart of the matter, or, or the heart of mindfulness, or they go, well, what does it really, what does it really mean? This is important. So I will, I will definitely, definitely cover that. I maybe even a bit today. Anybody else? Anything else? Um, I have a note to myself here because these are just a few things I wrote down for the, that weekend I gave at UBC, but. So I at least stay on, on track, on topic. But um, always remember that, that the uh, essence of dharma, uh, all dharma teaching, uh, doesn't matter what kind of school of dharma, if it's not on about freedom from delusion, freedom from greed, freedom from hatred, freedom from pride and jealousy, it's not dharma. It has nothing to do with dharma. It might be meditation, but it's not dharma. So remember that everything I'm speaking about, including mindfulness, its purpose is freedom from afflictive states. Now you could say, well, isn't that negative? Because what you're doing is you're cutting out afflictive states. You're cutting out emotional states. But actually, what it means is, uh, you know, there's a word I like. It's a very scientific word, but I, I love it. The word ablating. I don't know if you know what that is. To ablate something. If you had a piece of tile and you took a sandblaster and you sandblasted the little pieces of, of silica would hit the silica would hit the tile and knock off little pieces well you might have a pattern underneath there that you can't see well by ablating the tile like the space shuttle but ablating the tile the pattern comes out you clean the surface and the pattern comes out it was always there so instead of saying you destroy greed, hatred, delusion, pride, and jealousy, you, you go after with pitchforks and flamethrowers. It's not like that. You, if you do that, you create great distress to your being. Your organism and your, your conscious runs in terror. But it runs in terror even with love. But um, 
if you, most of the spiritual path, the awakening path, is you ablade uh, the unproductive, unadaptive, hindering emotional states, and you let, and you discover what are good emotional states that move you towards liberation, as opposed to um, emotional states and thinking and, and mental states and feeling states that are actually counterproductive to a bright, clear, loving, compassionate, open, spacious mind. That's really all it is. All meditations in the Buddhist tradition, if it's Dharma, uh, are for that purpose. Anything outside that, I'm speaking very technically and very, very correctly, anything outside that isn't really Dharma. If it's not in service of the ablating away of non-functional, non-adaptive states that actually hinder growth, uh, then of course you might say, well, something I do is in the service of growth. But you might find out two or three years later through mindfulness that in fact it never was for growth. In fact, it was hindering. But it was pretty cool at the time. Or you liked it. Or society says it's a good thing to do. So that's where the mindfulness comes in. If you don't apply enough attention and sort out that which hurts and that which supports, nurtures, then... um, you're not going anywhere. So when the Buddha said, you must know when there's sati present, you must know when there's joy present, you must know when there is tranquility, you must know when there is, you must know when these factors are there. What he's saying is, if you don't know it, you won't be able to actually sort out what is unwholesome from what is wholesome. And the sorting out what is wholesome, what is unwholesome, actually constitutes that knowledge, that insight knowledge, that wisdom, constitutes uh, enlightenment. This is truly unwholesome. This actually doesn't lead to liberation. But it is fun. It's fun. But it actually doesn't go anywhere. This does. Uh, so, So... This you have to understand. It's a wisdom attribute of discrimination where you can discriminate between that which is actually leading to liberation and freedom and that which actually is nice or bad, but nice but hinders. Nice but, but makes the life gray, makes the life neutral. You see? And that takes a lot of discrimination. And if you can't do it yourself, then it's good to actually have mentors that can gently, subtly, Firmly, sometimes, wrathfully, sometimes, point that out to you and say, this isn't on. And then you'll see the resistance come up. Oh, it is. It is for sure. And then a year later, you go, well, or six months. Okay, it wasn't. But, but that is the path of liberation. So, so um, remember that, that all mindfulness is in service of a being that actually uh, takes the mindfulness and the attention that's already there in the organism every moment and brings it to the forefront so it's a natural, um, a natural state of being. Does, does that make sense? A natural state. Not something that you do occasionally, but something that you experience all day long is the utter bliss of being attentive. The loving quality of being attentive to everything and every being. 
not only only radial errands. Only radial errands of us. The Feodera radial errands are the only thing that really get me going. Yeah. Um, you, you get the idea, right? That's the only thing that get that gets me interested in life. Then I'm then I'm passionate about life. That's not true. You see, so so. Um, a being that's really full of loving kindness finds every form and every thought, everything is interesting. Why? It's joyous to be attentive. And the organism is always attentive, so why not be attentive? You say, well, it takes a lot of work. But, you, but the organism is already attentive. So who's in the way? Just training. That's, that's, that's really it. It's pretty easy, isn't it? Pretty straightforward. And then what happens is you do things, you'll, get, you'll have these things happen. But I'm tired. I don't have the energy to be attentive. But if you apply uh, very close attention to the tiredness, you'll find out that the attention is on the tiredness. So you are fully attentive. But you're now attentive to a story called tiredness, but if you really look at the tiredness, you'll see that you're flooded with energy. You've all had that experience probably. So I used to do, I used to do this experiment with uh, my students in the Arctic when I was teaching art history. You know, art history, when you turn off the lights, you, you put the first slide in the, at 10 o'clock in the morning when the students have all had Coca-Cola for breakfast. Well, you'll see what happens. Their heads hit the table like this. So they used to say, I say, what's wrong? You know, I say, is it boring? They say, no, no, we're just tired. Well, of course, they've been up till 4 o'clock in the morning, then they have cocoa for breakfast, and then they come to class. They said, we're tired. And then you turn off the lights, we're so tired. So, so I would do something, which is, um, and actually, I would do it with the same students, still catch them out, is I go to the window. Now, we were near the, uh, the airport. So a Calwood is so, a Forfeshire Bay is so small. That, that almost everywhere is near the airport. But the, the airport, the runway, is one of the largest runways in the world. It could handle, the spa- one of the only runways in the world that could, that could handle a space shuttle landing. So we could see, just through the window of where I'd give the class, we could see um, planes coming in. Twin Otters and 737s, that sort of thing. So every once in a while, people would be like, you know, looking at a Rembrandt or something like that or another cathedral, and I go, oh my God, oh my God, there's a plane, it's landing, but it's, it's not landing, actually it's coming our way, you know, this sort of thing, like very dramatic. And you see all the young people, they, they get up out of their seats and run to the window. They'd have, inst- and I'd clock it and I'd go, wow, that was great, that was within about six seconds, five <laughs> seconds, or less. And then I'd go, no, actually, they stood up and that was only a half a second. And all, and I'd say, so when they go, where's the plane? I say, look at how much energy you have for that object. Half a second. Full, full of energy. So that gets me to the inner aspect of mindfulness. So if you don't have energy of interest, then your mind isn't very bright. You can't be in a loving state. You can't follow, and what I mean by follow is the patience of a study. Right? Like the light wasn't right on the radial laryn, so let's leave it for something else instead of fiddling for three or four hours to try to get it right. See what I mean? 
or uh, problem solving. And you know, it's really too hard. Let's, 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 let's go on to something more interesting. Maybe there'll be a subject that will be more photogenic, do you see? So, so um, if you don't know what's going on, then you will not know how to bring energy to your being, and you'll always be looking for an outer object to get you going. The next cool radial errand, the next fascinating thing on the reef, instead of something you've look, been looking at day after day, and it's not fascinating anymore. You know? So this energy is one of the biggest problems for most people, and we call it energy yoga. We need, we need a yoga that brings about a change in the energy so the attention that is uh, there all the time in the organism uh, is allowed to come to the forefront. So people often use the word, I'm blocked, I'm stuck, my energy's stuck. Um, I don't feel like it. It's not interesting enough. It does, it's not my, my thing. I'd rather be um, skydiving than snorkeling. I'd rather be scuba than snorkeling. I'd rather be watching television than snorkeling. It's not my thing. So what that means is there isn't energy available for interest. And if there isn't energy available for interest, there's no joy. You see how they're all interconnected? So those seven factors are all interconnected. Uh, often you'll find out that when you're really interested in something, you feel totally relaxed. When you're not interested, you feel totally tight. Your face is tight, your body's tight, you have a grimace, and all your muscles are contracted because you're simply not, you don't want to be there. The water's too cold, the bathtub's too cold, this isn't right, the food isn't right, and the whole being contracts, right? And, and the energy falls. So, um, the inner aspect of mindfulness is a clean energy, we call it prana, but a clean energy that flows through you, through your physicality, through your body-mind, that has loads of available energy no matter what the object is. Another way of saying it is that when you fall in love with everything, not one single thing, but when you fall in love with everything, there's huge amounts of energy because you can't fall in love with everything. You can fall in love with the particular and have energy. Is that, is that clear? You can fall in love with bats and only have energy when there's bats. Or your lover, or your child, or your dog. Right? But to have a love of everything that isn't phony means you need to be pervaded by the same feeling that you have for your child or your, your, your partner or your Rembrandt that's hanging on your wall or your shoes or that new microscope you got. You see? It doesn't matter what it is. That same quality of energy and interest and voluptuous um, grace uh, needs to be there for every sensory, internal, external object. So if it's not there, then traditionally we know there's, blo there's blockages. The system's blocked. And um, you can feel it. You know when you're in love with something or you're interested in something, you feel good all over, right? A person that can actually sense and feel 
feels good all over. You've all had that, yeah? A good massage? Uh, you go out in the water and it's just everything's right and you go, oh man, there's no other place around here. I feel glorious, right? And I'm interested. And I'm with it. That's because you're breathing. But you say, but I have been breathing. Well, the fact of it is, is that you have not been breathing. And many people stop breathing at around the age of six or seven. And if they went to boarding school, where they um, wore shorts in the winter, and maybe uh, when they came back from a good run, uh, went into a, um, a frozen uh, cold uh, tub of water to toughen them up, uh, maybe they stopped breathing then. Or got whipped, or the cane, which is quite common for being um, uh, not interested in schoolwork, maybe. I think you should go to the principal's office and get caned for uh, being uh, bored, or something like that, or playing. So, so uh, when the, the human being stops breathing is anybody's guess. But I get to meet all kinds of teenagers who haven't breathed for years. They're frozen. Their, their bellies have, never, have not breathed for years and years and years and years and years. It's frozen. You can tell by the way they breathe. You can tell by the way they, they move their body and so on. It's now stuck. So what I mean by breath is not respiration, is the sensation of being alive, not just in your genitals or not just in your hands, not just in your head, but alive from your toes to your fingertips, to your eyeballs, to your ears, your whole body feels voluptuous. Do you see what you're saying? It's, it's, it's succulent. It's filled with, with liquid. That liquid is breath. So the old language uses the word prana, or in Chinese, qi, or in Japanese, ki, uh, of alive energy. But the word we use for translation is energy, which is actually a physics word. So the problem is, you see, if you say that to a physicist, they go, what is that nonsense, or a chemist? But what's really meant by a prana is a sensation, because that's the only way you know there's something happening is you pick up a sensation. So when your feet feel good, it's because they feel alive. And you say, man, the energy in my feet is really good. Well, what you're really saying in more scientific terms or more, what's the word, um, common language terms is uh, there is sensation in my feet that feels good. That's all. But people like to say, my energy is cool, or I'm having energy in my feet. That's a nebulous term. You can use that, but you have to go, what does that word mean? So to breathe uh, in the ancient, in the ancient um, um, yogas, in the ancient uh, meditations, uh, to breathe fully is an alive being. But it's a, it's a, it's a joyous being. It's a blissful being. And you know that when you're blissful, you can do anything. Is that right? When you're really happy, uh, it's almost, almost um, unimaginable what you can do. You can be happy and you can stand out in the rain and be soaking wet and go, look at this rain. Isn't that cool? And if you're miserable and you're not blissful, you go, this is awful. This is a really unpleasant experience, unpleasant sensation. Did you see the difference? 
That's all it is. That's all it is. Boy, did I skip a few pages here. That's because I never actually wrote those three. <laughs> I did the first one. Anyway, I taught all of them, but yes. yes. There's a relationship between breath and prana. Yes. And when when you say like kids maybe from six or seven or when we're older stop breathing, um, you can see that physically. Yes. Yes. And and should they should in, in general we breathe through the nose or the mouth in general everyday life? Depends what you're doing. If you're if you're um, very calm and so relaxed through the nose, um, but. Uh, when you're um, clear, when you're moving emotional material through it through the mouth, or any heavy heavy exertion. But generally speaking, uh, there's a more balanced, alert state when it's through the nose. If you want to go deep, if you really want to go deep, uh, not shallow, but very. Um, I'll explain why in a minute. Yeah. Did you ever have this discussion with singers, professional singers, because? What I find is that when you, you learn how to sing, you learn how to sing from the diaphragm. And a lot of times you learn it after the age of seven. You know, you become conscious about singing mm. as you are, voice mm. Yes, yeah. yep. And it, it's such a revelation to most people when they have to really learn to use your, your body as a, as, as a framework that produces the sound that comes out. And you really can't sing if you breathe like here. So it's, it's, it seems to me that there's such a connection between breath and uh, the ability to sing. But, it, but it's not what I'm talking about. So this is, thank you for, for raising that. That's, thank That's you for saying that. That's why we have to be careful. When we say, when we say uh, breathing, breath, we don't mean respiratory breath. And the reason being is you can have a singer, who I've, many, who have most beautiful voices, but have the most unbelievable emotional hell. You can have someone that practices Qigong for years and has emotional hell. Or a karate master. I've known them. Six Dan karate master. Emotional hell. Breathes beautifully. Can dance around anybody. So we're not talking about fullness of respiration. We're talking about the mindfulness of being able to let the breath permeate every cell of the body and allow the organism to come alive. And not just when you're singing, but in other aspects of your life. So it's a bit like this. It's like being a singer or a performer or a flautist or a cellist and when you're on stage and you're playing a piece you feel orgasmic but you can be hell to all kinds of people around you right afterwards that's because the channels that are important for the poisons greed, hatred, delusion, pride, jealousy aren't actually flowing, they're cleared. But the others are. 
So this is where we have to talk about the inner. So what you've raised is really important, and thank you, that's, that's perfect timing, is when I say the word breath, I don't, I'm very careful, we shouldn't use the word respiration. We need a total body entouchment sensation that's a pervasive, bright awareness that is, feels so good that bliss, clarity, uh, sorry, that, that uh, greed, hatred, delusion, actually not delusion, uh, greed, hatred, and some pride and some jealousy actually get, uh, what's the word, um, suppressed as if you were taking a fire extinguisher to a fire. It's very different than the athlete or the person that um, can breathe really well but still has, is troubled deeply by emotional eruptions. That's why we have to, to speak of the inner. Otherwise, you can do as much bare attention as you want, but if you don't free the places where the greed, hatred, delusion conditioning is stored, locked in the nervous system deeply, then you'll, you'll never be free of it. So that takes a lot of mindfulness, takes a lot of attention, but takes a different kind of pathway than this. Because, I mean, if that was the case, then we should all be singing our way, you know, some people, sing your way to enlightenment, smile your way to enlightenment, karate your way to enlightenment, Feldenkrais your way to enlightenment, uh, sailboat your, your way to enlightenment, water ski your way to enlightenment, Snowboard your way to enlightenment. Doesn't happen, does it? We know that. So why? And it's a good question as, a, as an ecological uh, meditator. As an ecological Dharma student, you go, why isn't this working? So I've had a number of people who said to me when they've asked me, well, you know, I meditate. And I say, well, good, what do you do? I say, well, when I surf, that's when I experience this unity. Well, how about when you sit still? No, 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 I'm agitated. How about when you go for a walk? No, no way, no way. But when I surf, I get it. When I skydive, I get it. When I jump off a mountain with skis over a cliff, then I feel that rush, that totality, you see? Well, why not when you sit like this? No way, no way. That's scared. That, that, that makes them nervous. So when I'm on stage singing an aria, the whole universe is perfect, right? But watch, watch out when I don't get enough roses thrown at me at the end, or the or the or the um, or the uh, costume room is a mess, or my assistant didn't come at the right time, or the makeup artist. Or, and, or, and, or, my hair was a mess, and, or, and, or, and, or. They didn't give me caviar. Now, I'm not making this up because I've actually been around this. So, so then you have to say, so what's going on here? If they're so well-trained in breath, what's missing? It's not about liberation. So liberation is the use of mindfulness to untangle the sensations of greed, hatred, delusion, pride, and jealousy 
into their opposites. So when you free them up, you'll notice, my God, when I'm in a loving state, when, I'm, when there's no anger, that, that terrible feeling of aggression, that feeling of rage, I feel permeated by love for everything. You see? Not just when I'm on stage. Not just when I'm singing or singing by myself. But I walk off stage and someone says, you're an asshole. I go, I love you too. <laughs> you are a lovely being too. Thank you very much. So this is the inner aspect. The inner aspect. So, so uh, it is not sufficient for liberation. In theory, now I have to say this in theory. In theory, if you applied mindfulness barely to attend to the flow of sensation in your body, in theory, and you have the right karma... <laughs> You have the right conditioning. You are fortunate. And you watch it come and watch it go. Within theoretically one week, that's the minimum time, you could have an experience the transcendental of the first experience of freedom. In theory. It rarely happens. So you see, it's, 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 not, it's not the attending of breath that frees. It's, it becomes the basis for freedom. So I want to be very careful. Why, why the inner aspect of mindfulness? If you have good flow of energy on a constant basis, and I don't mean high, I just mean even ability to be able to be interested and handle things and go into things and be, be, be with, then you can use that energy to ask the big questions. Make sense? You can ask it to, you can then have a lot of energy and patience and time on your hands to say, what's really going on here? So if you ask what's really going on with a human being, so remember earlier on I said, what's going on in the sample? And Cynthia said, eating, reproduction, death. That's about it. But then you ask, what is the experience of a human being? Now let's, let's get global. Because human beings, they may be most of the time on about reproduction. They may be on most of the time about gathering resources for food. It's called going to work, right? Supporting children, going to work, supporting themselves, or concerned about death, because a lot of people, I understand, are concerned about death. Even if they don't, aren't aware of it, they're actually forestalling death of some type. And they want to be happy. But what really is a day made up of? So you see, when you start to now study the coral reef of the mind, of experience, so, so now when I use the word mind, I'm not talking about a thing. I'm talking about uh, the experience of phenomena of the mind. So let's, let's clarify that. When you wake up in the morning... What happens to you? You have experiences of waking up, yes? That's your experience, your internal experience. Right? And many people will use the word, I'm now conscious. 
I'm conscious of objects of the mind. You're conscious of a fantasy, you're conscious of a daydream, you're conscious of a dream, you're conscious of thoughts going through, what should I do today, what am I going to have for breakfast? Although that's an absolute certainty around here. I'm joking. But what coffee should I have? Will I have a shower? Maybe I won't have a shower. Should I go swimming? Uh, What's going to happen at work? Should I open my uh, email up? All those thoughts are actually objects in the mind, which sometimes are visually or sensorily just as big and strong as anything you'll experience right here. Correct? Yep. Yep. Sure. It's called the daydream. It's called thoughts. Even some thoughts are so vivid that you go, did I have that as a thought or did I have that as something that happened? Because they're both the same neurologically, by the way. So all those experiences, which are called content of mind, fantasies, daydreams, thoughts, sensations, including what are called outer sensations, any kind of physical outer sensation is found in your mind, not out there. You don't have it out there, you have it in your consciousness. So all those things are called technically content of mind or, or, or one's own experience. So now when you want to say what's happening to a human being all day, we don't need to talk about reproduction or food or eating or killing things for food or dying. We don't need to do that. If we want to talk globally about what a human being does all day, is a human being experiences all day. Because because then we have to catalog and taxonomically catalog all the experiences, and that's what we do. We, we taxonomically go visual experience, hearing experience, tasting experience, touch experience, smell experience, daydream experience, a fantasy about her or him, and it's all broken down into a museum or an art gallery that is curated. Does that sound about right? And so you say, that was that thought. That was that daydream. And you could put a label on it, because it's actually labeled. It's named. In the same way that you could, right now, go apple, and can you taste or smell an apple? Beautiful, isn't it? My gosh, that smells like a delicious apple. That's how it's done. All you need is a hook, a name, either emotional hook, a feeling hook, or a name hook, and you got it. And sometimes we don't get it. Um, 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 Nathan. You see? And that can be 20 minutes. But we're still using the hook to have a mental content experience. So all day long you're having mental content. Very few people ever look at their day in depth enough to come up with the experience that it's all experience. It's all taxonomically broken down into a book bigger than this of types of experience. But very rarely does anybody look at experience itself because if you look at all these organisms, what are they? They're all single-celled organisms called protists. 
That's what they're called. But that is not a global look. What is it about organisms? So when you want to look at a human being and you want, you want to now engage in an exploration of freedom, you're going to have to look at, at the inner. What is it a human being really does all day? It thinks. It experiences. Even when you don't think, you're having mental contact, uh, mental content. What's the mental content of not thinking? Bliss, serenity, grace, uh, equilibrium, balance. Call it whatever you want. It's still an experience, correct? Can anybody say in the room, that's not an experience, it's something else? It's an alien phenomenon. No, it's an experience to you. So when we come to the secret level, now I'm, I'm jumping just to give you an idea of where outer, inner, and secret comes from. The inner level of mindfulness is not looking at objects, content of mind. But what's happening to all content of mind. Where does content of mind come from? Where does content of mind go to? Not treating individual experience as special, but looking at all of experience as having the same nature. Does that make, make sense? You look like you're, you're dozing off. Do you want some coffee? The airplane. Hmm? Airplane's got the lung. <laughs> <laughs> we need to go to the coral reef up in the microscope. There. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Hmm? Yeah, it would be, but 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 um, it will pass. So so that's that's a global phenomena, is that if you attend to the energy, not as a story but just as a phenomena, it will pass. It's simple. How long will that tiredness experience last? If you attend to it and you make 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 a story up about it. Actually, but if you actually change your focus, you may find it's gone. But you don't even remember when it's gone. And saying it, having this exchange... Has just changed it. That's right. You just needed to engage uh, with your eyes. What you wanted is some contact. You need, you need contact. Now I need to make contact with everybody. The stare of a llama. It's that fast, eh? Just that so fast. When you feel your energy fail, falling, then by putting attention to it, you it put just it, disappears? You have to put attention to its core, not the story. Okay. Let's put it this way. I'll wait till, till um, I come back, but let's put it this way. If you're so asleep, how come you didn't fall over and lie on the ground unconscious? So obviously there must be a lot of energy there. Yeah. Must be a lot of energy. Sure, that'd be good. It's very still. I felt like I was in a big fight with it. You don't have to. Yeah. You don't have to. Oh, 
Well, maybe we can't. We now, can. the other thing is, if you want, I'm, I'm happy. If you'd like to get up and stretch and walk around, I don't mind having a break at all. I can go on for hours, you know. Five or six or seven, eight hours. I, I can go on. There's loads of energy here. I could just sit here comfortably. But so, so if you want to have a break, why don't you take a, a few minutes break, and also we can wait for Misha to come back, and um, take a break and move around and take some air and stretch, and then come back in five minutes. How's that? Good. Good. It's also that time of day. So, why don't we wait till everybody comes back? I had did really well. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>